Well, good morning, War Church. I'm excited to be in the Word of God with you this morning. Before we dive in, let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you in your mighty Son's Jesus' name. God, thank you for your Word. I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease so that you might increase and be made much of for your people. Speak to our hearts. God, you know what your people need. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Joe Freeman grew up the oldest of nine boys in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He had a tough dad. He had a hard dad. Uh, his dad wasn't the kind of man that would forgive easily. Uh, he said public humiliation and public shaming was the norm. If you did it, then you paid for it. That's what Joe said. This would consequently go on to affect Joe's concept of God. He couldn't fathom a loving God. He couldn't fathom a good God. He couldn't fathom a God that could forgive because every time that he would think about God, he would just think about his dad and uh, that would just lead to a bunch of shame and it would make it hard for him to approach God and imagine uh, being in a relationship with God. This is what he says. These are, are Joe's very words. He says, my opinion... An image of God was that he did not love me or even like me. God was a brutal punisher who looked for me to fall and then swiftly and brutally punished me. He could never forgive me for even the smallest offense. I could never please him or even make him love me. Friends, it's hard to imagine yourself being in a relationship with a person who can't be pleased be it a parent or a spouse or employer or a coach. It's hard to imagine yourself being in a relationship uh, with a person that can't be pleased. And for many people, this is how they, they view God for, for whatever reason, be it how they were raised or some teaching that they received at some point in their lives, they come to the conclusion that God is unloving and they are unlovely. And it creates this distance between uh, us and God when we believe that kind of thing. And this morning, some of us might be there. This morning, some people might be saying, I won't even try it. You might be saying, Terrence, preacher, I won't even try it. I won't even, I can't imagine myself being in a relationship with such a God who, who, who won't forgive me. So I, I can't step into that. I won't, I won't step into a church. And if that's you, you probably have given up on organized religion and things like that. But if also, if that's you this morning, I just want to thank you for, ev for even tuning in this morning or for even being here. Because whether you believe it or not, uh, for you to even be here uh, was an act of faith and courage. I know it can be hard. And for some people, you might say, yeah, uh, it's not that I won't try, it's that I've tried. Like, I've tried. I, I either grew up in the church or something like that, and uh, God is the God who ruined my childhood. He's the God of no fun. Uh, for you, uh, a relationship with God is like trying to keep a diet. you like, I, I just can't keep that thing, so I'm just done. I'm just, gonna, I'm just done with it. And that might be you this morning, and maybe uh, you maybe have walked away in your heart and nobody even knows. In a room this size, and maybe somebody has walked away in their hearts and you're just showing up today on faith. And so some people say, I won't try. Some people say, I tried. And a lot of, this, a lot of us this morning are saying, I'm trying, but I am tired. I, 
I'm, I'm trying, but I am tired. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to please God, but I don't know if he's pleased with me. I'm trying to please my employer. I'm trying to please my spouse, uh, but I am, I am tired. If you're in either one of those spaces this morning, I believe there's something that God wants you to know. And I believe he wants to combat some of those beliefs that might be either hidden in your heart or blatantly showing up in your life. And this is what I think he wants us to know. Now, if you don't take notes on anything else, take notes on this today. God isn't the kind of father who rejects his children. No, he is the father that pursues his children even when we reject him. I'll say it again. God isn't the kind of father that rejects his children. He's the father that pursues his children even when we reject him. That's who he is. He, he comes after us. He's like a father in the middle of the night looking for his lost son with a flashlight looking for you. He comes after us even when we reject him and this isn't just something that I'm conjuring up this is something that I know this is something that I've experienced and this is something that we're going to see in the text this morning we're going to see this in the word uh, that God pursued his people Israel his chosen people these were the people that he chose uh, these are the people that he made a covenant with that's just a fancy word for an agreement he made an agreement with these people he would be their god they would be his people uh, he would provide for them there would be provision and protection but if they chose life on chose life on their own terms there would be consequences for that and that's what we're going to see in our text uh, today, that they have chosen life on their own terms, and now God is calling them back. He, 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 he calls a man by the name of, of Joel to speak into their life. He's specifically speaking to this southern tribe of Judah, and he's calling uh, them back to himself. He isn't the father that rejects his children. He's the father that pursues his children even when they reject him. Uh, to give you an idea of what's going on in Joel, this can be best described as a natural disaster. There are locusts everywhere. I don't know about you, but all it takes is one bug to mess up my day. All it takes is one. You can ask my wife. I'm not ashamed. All it takes is one bug. But what they're dealing with is not one bug, not hundreds of bugs, not thousands of bugs. Not millions of bugs, but when these swarms come together, there can be billions of locusts. Can you imagine looking out your window and seeing billions of locusts? I'm sorry if you're squeamish. But that's what's going on. And they were, they, were, they were devouring all of the crops. They were like teenage boys. They were eating them out of a house and a home. And this is what's happening. But in all seriousness, it was bad. This was, this was a natural uh, disaster. The crops were being eaten up. The livestock had no food to eat. The economy was tanking. It was a dark time. There was thirst in the land. There was famine in the land. And as you can imagine, people are scurrying, trying to find food and safety. This was a hard time. This was a dark time. And, 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 and in all reality, this came as a result of Israel's own making a lot of this. They, they, they broke the, the covenant, they broke the agreement, and this is a result of living life on their own terms. And so this is what the prophet Joel says. He says, it has laid waste my vines, 
and ruined my fig trees. Speaking of this disaster, it has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Uh, Can you see the imagery of a tree that has been stripped of its bark? It has been stripped white. Israel has been stripped down. They've been stripped of power. They've been stripped of peace. They've been stripped of prosperity. They've been stripped of honor and dignity. They've been stripped down. They're vulnerable. They're weak. They're in a very vulnerable and weak place. And as we've already established, this was a result of their own doing. God told them back in Deuteronomy that this would happen. I just want to read Deuteronomy 28 for us. And this is him telling them beforehand, this would happen if you chose life on your own terms. He says, you will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because locusts will devour it. He told them this was coming. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them, meaning you will do something by your own strength and by your own means, but I won't let it work. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil because the olives olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them because they will go into captivity. This is a nightmare. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees in the crops of your land. He told them that such a day would come. Uh, They've been stripped down. They're vulnerable. They're in a weak place. And I think we can relate to that over the last couple of years but we can't always explain why the locusts have come. We don't, we don't always know, right? They, they know in this instance why this is happening, but sometimes you don't know why the locusts have come. It's hard to explain a global pandemic. It's hard to explain the sudden death of a loved one. It's hard to explain the loss of a job. It's hard to understand why your significant other just is no longer in love with you and walked away. That kind of stuff uh, doesn't make sense sometimes to us, but sometimes the locusts come in our lives. Has anybody been there in the last couple of years? Has anybody felt that? I know the world has felt that around us. If you haven't felt that, chances are you know someone who has. People have lost jobs and families, stripped of honor, stripped of peace, stripped of dignity, stripped of you name it. I've, I've been there. I'll be honest with you. I've been there in the last, last couple of years. I know Michigan is cold, but I want us to be a hot church for a minute. Hot. This just means honest, open, transparent. See, 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 that's where I was going with it. <laughs> this one is, and so I've been there. I've felt it. Uh, in 2019, I set out to plant a new church in an area called Bartlett, Tennessee, right on the outskirts of Memphis. It was going good. And I was like, praise God, it's going good. I was raising money. I was gathering a team. I had influence with leaders in my community. And it was going good. I was, praise God, it's going good. Uh, around January of 2020, I hear about this little thing called coronavirus as I'm watching the news, and I'm like, oh, that's over there. I'll be praying for them. Uh, but, but praise God, it's going good. Uh, February, uh, I'm, 
a few uh, opportunities to get canceled because people are afraid of this thing called a coronavirus and I got asked to speak somewhere and then they canceled it. And I was like, okay, well, it's, it's, go, it's okay. That's, that's going to go away soon. And praise God, I think it's going good. Um, March 8th, have an event for my church plant. It's great. We have a room full of people, so much energy and momentum. Praise God, going good. March 12th, the country shuts down. God, what are you doing? By April, I'm face down in my office saying, God, what are you doing? And if I can be honest, it went from praise God, God is good. And I'm starting to wrestle now. I'm like, is, is, is God good? If I can be honest with you, that's where I was. Uh, the months go by, and, and I, I'm going to be real with you. I start to get angry at God. I, I start to get angry at the events. I, I feel like this, this pandemic got in my way, and in my own pride, I wouldn't say this out of my mouth because I'm a, I'm a Southern Bible Belt Christian, right? I wouldn't say this out of my mouth, but I was like, God, you've, you've gotten in my way. This has gotten in my way, and I found myself angry at God, and there was this distance. Uh, it was supposed to work out a different kind of way. And so I was carrying that in my heart. I had this distorted view of the gospel that said, oh, if you do what I think you should do, what's on my plan, God, then I'll praise you and give you honor. But if you don't, I don't know if I can. And that, that's, that was in me. Fast forward, January 4th, uh, the day that changed my life, I get the call uh, that my father is unresponsive. Uh, later found out that he passed away. A few days passed by. I'm still trying to go uh, and follow out my plan, but I'm still trying to take care of my father's arrangements. And then I get these chills and these aches in my body, and I get this raging hot fever, <laughs> and I test positive for COVID, spent three weeks in quarantine, um, lost 22 pounds in two weeks, couldn't think clear, this tool that God uses to write sermons and read, couldn't do it because my brain was so foggy. And I just spent, uh, I spent those few weeks just alone with God. And, I, and, and honestly, I went uh, to a place of, of intimacy with God like I hadn't been in a long time. I had nothing, I could do nothing. I had been stripped down and I found myself only having my little phone, being able to turn on some worship songs, and I began to experience him. And I sensed the Lord saying, this is what I want. I want you. I don't want you to plant a church for me. I don't need you to preach a sermon for me. I just want you. And God used that. He wasn't destroying me. He was healing me in that season. I'm not trying to put a pretty bow on it because I know a lot of us are experiencing pain right now. Some of us might still be in it. Uh, but when the locusts come, just maybe, just maybe God might have a plan for it. And for certain, he wants to be with you in it. And it's, it's easy to see when the lawless ones, the rule breakers, walk away from the Lord. But it's not always so easy to see when the rule followers, the church attender, walks away. And God needs to call that person home uh, to return to him. Uh, that's more difficult for us to see. And maybe, maybe, just maybe God might be calling you to, to such a thing. He might be pulling on your heart to return to him 
in some ways. This repentance that we're speaking of today, this returning, it's a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of returning to him uh, over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And he doesn't run out of grace and mercy for you. He never gets tired of you coming back to him. He wants you to return to him. Let's look at that word repent. It's teshuvah. That's what it is in Hebrew. Teshuvah. Teshuvah literally means to return. The goal is essentially to return to the Lord that is. That is restore unhindered fellowship with him. It is a divine invitation to the prodigal son, that's us, to come back home and embrace the father's presence. He calls us to come back home to him and to uh, embrace his presence. And he never gets tired of calling us back home and he gets, never gets tired of us coming back to him. Let's, let's continue. At, at the heart of the return to God is the actual process by which we turn away from sin. He, he, he calls us back to himself. I want to continue uh, in Joel, in, in Joel chapter, chapter 2. He says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, even now, whatever that even now might be, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God. And this is why we can return. For he is gracious and compassionate. If he wasn't, we couldn't slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. He says, return even now, even now. And he says, rend your hearts, not your garments. Uh, and back in this time, when a person wanted to show that they were remorseful for what they had done, they would rip their garments, they would rip their clothes, and this was an act, outward act of, of remorse and repentance. But God says, no, no, no. I don't want the out, outward activity. I want an open heart. Bring your heart to me. And even now, you can come to me. Even now, as you're up to your neck in addiction and you feel like you can't beat it, even now, when you're unsure about this whole church thing and you don't know why you're here or why you clicked on that link and you don't understand these songs that we're singing, he says, even now, return to me. He wants to know you. What, what kind of person loves like that? That's an amazing love that you will pursue the people that have been unfaithful to you. Who, who, un, who pursues the unfaithful? Who does that? This is, this is Detroit Metro. This is the, the home of Motown. A lot of songs have been written here, a lot of love songs. Temptations. I'm young, but I know this stuff. The Temptations, the Supremes, Michael Jackson. Stevie Wonder, beautiful love songs have been written in the Detroit metro area. But I have never heard anybody write a song about pursuing the person that betrayed them. People don't write songs like that. I don't hear nobody saying, baby, baby, you were unfaithful to me. Come on back. Nobody writes a song like that. You know why? Because that kind of love is out of this world. That's an out-of-this-world 
love. And why would we turn such a love down? A person coming after us, even as we have done them wrong, they're calling us back. That's an out-of-this-world love. So why, why don't we? Why don't we return? Because there are times when we, we still do choose life on our own terms. I think here's one reason. I think life in the window. Life in the window. The life in the window is the life spent looking back. Because of what I've done, I, I look back and I see my sin and my shame and I, I just can't imagine God loving me as I look back through the window of the past and I look back and, and I'm looking at all that I've done or either what other people have done to me that hangs me up and stops me from returning to the Lord. And some of us might be there. You're like, I, I'm looking back at what I've done and there's no way that God wants me. I'm looking at what I did last night and there's no way that God wants me. Or I'm looking at what they did to me and I got to get them back or I got to prove them wrong. So we get stuck in the window and God is calling us into his presence and some of us might be there. For, for, others, for others, some of us, what's stopping us from returning to God might be life in the mirror. The mirror is the life fixated on self. I can't get my eyes off of me. And because I can't get my eyes off of me, it's hard for me to, to, to focus on God and, and give myself to them, to him. I, I'm either overly fixated on my strengths I'm overly fixated on my weaknesses. This is where shame lives. Shame lives in this mirror life, this life that's focused on self. And, I, and my identity is in so many other things that I, I, can't, I can't take my eyes off of myself and my life and my plans. Uh, so it stops me from returning to him. But then, for some of us, and I can live in this world sometimes, it's, it's life in a telescope. I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always thinking about what's next. And this is where anxiety lives. Get stuck in the future, fixated on what's to come. We, we can try to play God in the telescope because we're trying to figure out our lives. And God is calling us to him. But we're stuck. We're stuck in the future. It's, you're here, but you're not really here. God is calling us out of the window, out of the mirror, out of the telescope, into his, into his presence. That's what he wants. He wants to know you. He wants to know everything about you. Joe Freeman, the, the guy I talked about earlier, he felt like God wouldn't like him. God likes you. He made you in his image. And he wants to be with you through it all. He wants to be with you in the window, he wants you to look back and know that there's grace for the past. There's grace for what they did and for what you did. And he wants to be with you in the mirror so that you can see that your identity is in him. Not in any of the things that we like to put our identity in. Uh, my identity is not in my, my background, my culture, my race. My identity uh, is not in what I do for a living. My identity is in, not in who I vote for. My identity is in him, and he wants to be with you in the mirror. 
You can have peace and not be covered with shame or, or, or pride. He wants, to, he wants you to see that, that, that your future is in his hands. As you read Joel and dive deeper into it, Joel talks about the day of the Lord, this day where God restores everything. Well, he, 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 he eradicates all, of, all evil and all of his enemies, and he wants you to know that your future is in his hands. That way, that way you can have peace and not be paralyzed by anxiety. Uh, he says he's going to restore all that the locust stole. He says, I'm going to restore the years that the locust stole. I don't know how you restore time or buy back time or get back time, but God says he's going to restore the years that the locust stole. There's hope in the future. I can look. I'm going to have hair again. <laughs> right? That, that our future is with him. And friends, we sang it earlier. The world is ever changing, but he remains the same. He's the God, he's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He has your yesterday, your today, and your tomorrow. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Saying, God, help us to return to you. God, for those of us who are stuck in the window. God, remind us of your grace. God, your, your blood has power and it covers the sin, the mistakes, the flaws of the past. God, pull us out of that place and into your presence. Tug on our hearts this morning, God. Show us that you are a safe place. You are a refuge. God, I pray that you would pull us out of the mirror, that we wouldn't be overly fixated on self, be it strengths or weaknesses, be it the things that describe us. I pray that we would see ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High God. God, pull us out of that telescope out of the future that makes us so anxious that makes us so prideful as we say we're going to do this and we're going to do that and that's going to happen and this is going to happen. God, pull us into your presence that we might know you and know that you have our future, that you have the past, the present. And I specifically want to pray for those who are brokenhearted this morning. It's been a hard couple of years, God. Uh, people have felt like the locusts have come, and I just pray that you would be with them in it today. It's in your sons, in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.